Thank you, Jeanette. This morning, I, I did fail to mention one of the greatest praises from this past week that I just want to mention before uh, we have our, our time in God's Word this morning. Ted and Bonnie McLennan, of course. Ted had his dual surgeries on Monday and Wednesday this past week. Uh, the first to put the first half of a cage on the inside of his spine, the second to put one on the outside along with rods and then to clamp and, and put them together. He came through those surgeries fantastically and uh, he is home recovering and uh, he wants to thank everyone for their prayers as does Bonnie and we need to keep them in our prayers as well. Also this morning you need, you'll notice that Connie Schumann uh, is not here. Connie has been struggling for, for many, many weeks now with bronchitis and she texted me this morning, uh, FYI for the outreach team as well. Uh, she's not going to be able to come today to do registration so Janie, you're all thumbs up by yourself today, okay? But uh, keep Connie in, in your prayer as well. Well, many years ago, uh, I was making the trek from Indianapolis, where my doctors were, uh, back to our home in Tipton, Indiana. And it was early fall, and so I had the windows rolled down on our station wagon that was donated to us by a friend of my father-in-law. And, and I just have to say, it was one of those beauties, too. A 1985 Parisienne, and nothing screams Paris uh, glamour and style quite like a station wagon. You know, it said, look at me, American, I am a classy guy from France. Uh, it was everything a young married guy wanted in a car. Eight passenger awesomeness that repelled every other woman but my wife, okay? Um, my father-in-law, my dad and I, we rebuilt that engine and that thing really from, from scratch. It had sat unused. Uh, uh, the engine had seized up. We had to pull the pistons, put new rings and everything in it. And once we were done, it would top out at about 60 miles an hour when it would start to shake, literally. And one day, on that beautiful fall day, I popped in a worship cassette. And I was just singing at the top of my lungs and celebrating God and all of His goodness until I saw the flashing lights coming up behind me. And I pulled over and the officer came up to me and, and they asked you that same question, right? Do you know why I pulled you over? No, I thought. Do you need directions to a donut shop? No, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> I said, I really don't know. He said, well, you're, you're in a 55 mile an hour speed zone and I clocked you going 63 miles an hour. Now my first thought was, I can't even make 60. I don't know how I was making 63. But he said, in Indiana, and David, you know this to be true if you've ever been met by a trooper in Indiana. 55 miles an hour, he said, means 55 miles an hour. And he asked me for my license and my registration, and he proceeded to write me a ticket. Even though I attempted to explain to him that I was a minister, probably on a mission from God, uh, I was just praying and singing and praising the Lord out loud, and the Holy Spirit was pressing on my heart, which also pressed on my right foot on the gas pedal. But he didn't listen to any of it, and he gave me the ticket, and I was thinking, oh man, I have to go home and tell Cheryl all about this. And, and, and she was graceful as always, and, and Cheryl said, well, Merry Christmas, this is your Christmas gift. Uh, but we wrote a check for something like $125 to the state of Indiana, and my payment was made in full. Now, a week later, and for dozens and dozens of times, I went down that same strip of road, of highway. And do you think I was sweating it? 
Do you think I was worried that I was looking out for this, this trooper thinking, I hope he doesn't recognize me and ducking down in the seat? No, I wasn't because my payment had been made in full. And now when I drive over that road, I don't feel any guilt or shame about that. I celebrate. It's a time to forget. And friends, my prayer for each one of us today as we go into this message is that this is going to be a time in your life where before we leave, you have a time to celebrate forgiveness. Because God doesn't intend for us to carry a load of baggage in this life from our past. He doesn't intend for us to carry the baggage of our mistakes. He, he doesn't intend for us to carry the load of our shame and our guilt because we've done wrong. We've sinned against Him. He doesn't intend for us to carry the weight of a time in our life where we were violated or wounded. The way we've been hurt, the way we've been betrayed by others. And I'll tell you something about finding the freeway and finding freedom within your life. You can't experience freedom in your life without going through the door of forgiveness. You see, it's a so cumbersome thing to know a brother, like Proverbs 18, 19, where it says, A brother wrong is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Because of a lack of forgiveness for some of you this morning, you're living behind bars in a relationship. Or maybe you're the one that's holding the keys to someone else's prison that you feel they've earned or they deserve. And friends, you need to hear the words of Proverbs 28, 14. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. But whoever hardens their heart will fall into trouble. Now, I don't know why you think you came here today. What you think you need from God. But I have a sense that what you think you need from God and what you really need from God are two very different things. If I were to go around this room and ask you, what's the, the greatest need in your life? What do you need from God today? Some of you would say, uh, just simply, I need some help on a test this week. You know, I've got calculus, I've got bio, I've got computer programming coming up. I need some help. Some of you would say, I need my marriage fixed. Some of you would say, I need my family fixed or my extended family fixed. Some of you might say, I need a good man. Or I need a good woman in my life. Some of you would say, I just need my bank account to be a little bit larger. Or I need my sick body healed. That's what I really need. But what I wonder again is if what you think you need is what God knows you really need. You know, that's how it was for this guy that Jesus encountered in Mark chapter 2 in the Bible. And I want you to turn there with me today and Mark the second chapter. If you want to track with me on your smart device, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And the man that Jesus encounters here is physically paralyzed. And this man, and some of you can understand, at least in part, he's probably sick and tired of being sick and tired. He's tired of bed sores. He's tired of staring at the ceiling and relying on others to take care of him, to dress him, to feed him, to bathe him to toilet him, to assist him. He was tired of living isolated on a mat, maybe a, a three-by-six mat, day after day, week after week, and year after year. He's tired of it. 
And the only mobility that he knows in life is when somebody, some people will grab the four corners of his mat to move him somewhere. And the news starts to circulate throughout the neighborhood about this carpenter's son from Nazareth who's reportedly making sick people well, and he's even healing them. And he has four friends who pick him up on his mat and they carry him into the town of Capernaum where this supposed teacher is healing and performing miracles and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And they take him to the house where Jesus is and it's standing room only. But I love these unstoppable friends who refuse to be discouraged and they quickly come up with plan B. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, if you're there with me now, begins this way. It was a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, and the people heard that he'd come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. One of the things that truly inspires me about this account is that these men are willing to do anything and everything necessary to get their friend to Jesus. Now, there's a whole sermon in that for a future time. But imagine you're in this house, and you're watching Jesus teach, and all of a sudden, you see a little cloud of dust kind of sprinkled down around Jesus. And you look on your robes, and you've got some specks that maybe you've got to dust off, and, and you feel a little bit of the plaster falling on, on your Birkenstocks, on your sandaled feet. And then you look up, along with Jesus, who's now smiling, and you see this mat being lowered from the ceiling. I mean, here's this man, this friend, being lowered down like he's on a carpet, like Aladdin or something. You know, I can show you the world. And, and the four faces looking down in the hole that they just made as they lower their friend before Jesus. And can you imagine this guy, this paralyzed man with his anticipation? Can you imagine his fear? Don't drop me, guys. I've got nobody down there to pick me up. What's Jesus going to do? You've been paralyzed all your life, and suddenly you're taking this magic carpet ride, and you want to forget your mat. You want to forget all those wasted years behind you. You want to forget the helplessness and the bed sores, and I'll bet he's thinking, this could be it. This could be the final hour. This could be the final minute that I have to lay on this silly mat all my life. Finally, I get to come and be healed. And Jesus, I'm here. I've made it before you. And imagine how dumbfounded, how deflated this man must have been, how disappointed when instead of hearing, you're healed, you've suffered long enough, get up and walk, he hears Jesus say, instead, son, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> what? Jesus, that's not what I came to hear today. I came to have my body healed. I came to leave my past behind. I came to leave my mat behind. And you say, son, your sins are forgiven? 
This guy wanted a transforming miracle for his body, not his sins forgiven. But just as Jesus always does. Do you, do you hear me on this, friends? Just as Jesus always does, Jesus looks inside and he sees not what we think we need. He sees what he knows we actually need. And here's a guy who's paralyzed literally from the inside out. He's paralyzed by his past. He's overcome by his sin, comatose with the guilt and shame of his life. And Jesus says the words he did not come to hear, but that he needed to hear. Son, your sins are forgiven. You know, maybe those are not the words you think you needed to hear today when you came in. But I want to tell you today, those are the words you may need to hear the most if you want to experience life on the freeway. Maybe what some of you are, are longing truly to hear today is your Savior saying to you, your sins are forgiven. And maybe today what we need is a fresh touch of amazing grace that we sang about in our life. Maybe what we really need is, is that feeling of forgiveness that we sang about. I mean, talk about how God weaves things together as, as Mark did. Maybe once again we need to have that, that new awareness, that, that excitement, that elation come from the bloodstained cross where we're released of our guilt and our shame and our past. And we hear the words anew today. Your sins are forgiven. Listen, friends, you cannot love much until you have been forgiven much. But in order for that to happen, I want to share with you just a few things this morning that we need to experience, that I need to experience. And number one is this. I must honestly acknowledge my need for forgiveness. I must honestly acknowledge my need for forgiveness. You know, we all sin. We all have need of forgiveness. And you'll recognize this verse from, from last week. This is from the Phillips paraphrase of 1 John 1.8, but I just love the way it puts this. If we refuse to admit that we're sinners... We live in a world of illusion, and truth becomes a stranger to us. Gang, let's not be naive. Let's not be deceived by our own sinfulness. The Bible says it clearly in so many places. You're probably most familiar with Romans 3, verses 10 and 11, where it says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. We all have sin in our lives. And we can try to hide it from our spouses. We can try to hide it from our families or others that try to get close to us, but we cannot hide it from God. God always knows. There's no such thing as a secret thought from God. There's no such thing as a locked office door to God. There's no such thing as a bolted bedroom door to God. There's no such thing as a, as a secret email account or a secret website because God knows. Hebrews 4.13 plainly reveals nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Friend, God knows. He was a very well-known and high-profile Christian leader years ago who took a very bad moral fall. And it was public, 
It was very, very messy. It was in the news. It was very embarrassing for him. But over time, he rebuilt his world through the grace of Jesus Christ. And he once said this. He said, in my first year after my fall became quite public, I received over 6,000 letters from Christian brothers and Christian women confessing to me their secret sins. And he said, I never, ever, in all of my years of preaching, I never had any idea how many secret carriers there are and how deep is their shame and pain. I'll never forget the words of King David in Psalm 32, verse 3. David said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And I'm just guessing that we've got a few secret carriers in this room today. For some of you, it was cheating in school many years ago. It haunts you. For some of you, it's the marriage vows that you violated or the cruelty that was inflicted with your words. For some of you, it was an incident that happened just one time in college, just one time in your younger life. But it was a careless moment, and you still pay the price daily. For some of you, it's the physical abuse. It's the sexual abuse. It's the emotional abuse that was forced upon you, that you were forced to carry about. And for some time, it was a complication and the lingering questions about the abortion. For some, it's taking something that didn't belong to you. Maybe it was from a family member. Maybe it was from a business or a store or a purse. Maybe it was from a church. For some of you, it was divorce, and you just can't forgive yourself. For some of you, it was the words that you said, and you can't take back. For some, it's the secret escape into images that you look at on your iPhone or, or on your computer or the conversations you have in a chat room. I'll bet if the truth were known, there's a great number of secret carriers among us today. And guilt can eat you alive. Guilt can paralyze you. For some, maybe the memory is as fresh as last night. For others of you in this room, it happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And it still dogs you. It still haunts you. And when you're quiet at night, you think about it and it steals your sleep. I can say that with confidence because I've been there more than one time in my life. You see, I know we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. I've got a lot of failures, and I don't know about you, but I deserve to have my sins punished by a holy God in this universe, and that's why I'm drawn like a magnet to this carpenter from Nazareth who says to paralyze guilty people like me that I can sometimes be, I want to hear, son, your sins are forgiven. But if we can't honestly acknowledge our sins before him, we're never going to experience a God who's greater than our past, that longs for us to be free. Forgiveness requires our confession of those sins. See, the Bible says in the Old Testament, in Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I like the way the Living Bible translates this. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. 
We serve the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance. God shows the beauty of his mercy and the depth of his love when we confess our sins and walk away from them. But when we try to hide them, and, and, and honestly, we're bad at it, aren't we? From trees and fig leaves in the Garden of Eden to the web of lies we entangle ourselves in today. It's really true what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Who? God. God can. That's who. So let me ask you this morning. How about having a little truth-telling moment with yourself? Can you say, God, this is who I really am. God, I struggle with lying. God, I, I, I am a cheat. I am an adulterer. I, I inflict pain with my anger, with my words. God, I have a greedy heart. I have a lust-filled heart. I'm a controller, God. I'm, I'm a thief. Can you say that to God? I hope so. Because until we do, we live in a world of illusion. Now secondly, after I honestly acknowledge my need for forgiveness, I must experience a fresh touch of forgiveness. This paralyzed man is on this mat and he so badly wanted to hear Jesus say words of healing. But Jesus first says the words he needs to hear. Son, your sins are forgiven. But then there's a twist in the story. Look in verse 6. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, not saying it out loud, but thinking, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Get up, take your mat, go home. See, the surprise in the story is shortly after saying, your sins are forgiven. He gets to hear the words, I bet, he never imagined he'd hear in a million years. Get up. Pick up your mat. Walk home. And in this incredible moment, this man in verse 12, he got up, he took his mat, he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, hmm, you don't see that every day. We've never seen anything like this. By this miraculous physical miracle, Jesus proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that what this man had just experienced spiritually was authentic. You see, you can look at me and say, Bill, I forgive you of your sins, but you can't forgive my sins. You can sit before a priest, you can sit before a minister and confess all the sins that you want to, but that individual cannot forgive your sins. But by healing this man with this miracle, Jesus was saying, now you see who has authority and the power to forgive sins on this earth. And Jesus says to any of us who are willing to acknowledge our sin, your sins are forgiven. And to prove it, 
I went to the cross and I bled and died and was buried. And three days later, I walked out of the grave to show you that God's heart towards you is not for you to be tortured and followed and dogged by the, the price of sin anymore or by the guilt and the shame of sin because the one that set you free is me. And when I set you free, you are free indeed. Friends, I can't relate to you the number of stories I've heard of others that wrestle with that simple truth. I'll never forget a man that I admired greatly who came into my office one day and said, what I'm about to tell you, I have never shared with anybody else. My daughter, good Christian girl, he said, she went off to college and she got kind of in with, with the wrong crowd and she was drinking one night. And one night while she was drinking, she, she passed out and she was raped. And because she was embarrassed, because she was scared, she wouldn't tell her mother, he said, but she told me, Daddy, I'm pregnant. He said, I wanted to hide what had happened. I, I wanted to kill the boy who did this to my daughter, even though we never knew who he was. And I considered how much money it would cost to pay for my daughter's abortion. And now, the anger that's been churning in him for years, the guilt that he felt was eating at him, and he wanted to know, you know, this, how do I deal with this? I've kept this from my wife all these years. I've dealt with this, and my heart ached as I listened to him because, remember, I, I truly respected this man. And I shared with him how Jesus died on the cross. And he, and he said, but Bill, even after that, somebody's got to pay. Somebody's got to pay for what that boy did. Somebody's got to pay for what my daughter went through, for what I did. And I could say, but Jim, somebody already did pay for what you've done. That's why Jesus died for you. And I've watched how that man and his daughter got a fresh touch of grace in his life and in her life. And they're walking free today because of the payment that was made. And friends, Jesus has done the same thing for me and you and for others time and time again. And it feels so good to be able to proclaim with the psalmist in Psalm 119, 45, I can walk about in freedom because I've sought out your precepts. The truth that God forgives sins, the truth. I can walk cleansed of guilt, not because of anything that I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. And like the woman that was dragged before Jesus, caught in adultery in John chapter 8, when Jesus asked her, woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one left to condemn you? We can hear Jesus say with her as she responds, no one, sir, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. So go now and leave your life of sin. Some of you served on juries here in, in Clark County, maybe in Greene or, or Madison County. But do you remember what it was like to be in the room when the verdict was read? We, we, watched, we watched the uh, Ted Bundy story last night and the emotions in the courtroom when his conviction was read. And maybe you've been in that situation. Maybe you've been a defendant. Maybe somebody you love was there. Maybe you've seen it in the movies. And you know it's a moment of, of high drama because they asked the defendant to please stand as the verdict is read, guilty or not guilty. And you know that person's whole 
life is to be chosen and directed in that moment. And whenever we see that, it ought to make us think about how one day we're all going to stand before the God of the universe, before the one who made us, and we're going to stand on the day of judgment, and you better have a pretty good defense attorney on that day because we're all guilty of sin. The prosecution knows you're guilty of sin. He's brought his case file, his encyclopedia-sized file on every one of us. He's perfected his craftiness for over 6,000 years as an accuser. And he's ready to see judgment leveled. But we're given an amazing gift. We're told in the book of Hebrews 8.6 and 1 Timothy 2.5 that Jesus is our mediator. He stands between us and then goes to the bar. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Literally, our defense attorney. And he stands before the judgment bar of God. And if we belong to Jesus Christ, on the day the verdict is read over our life, it's going to go something like this, I imagine. On the account of Bill Warwick's, on the charge of lying, we find the defendant not guilty. And I'm going to go, yeah, because I know I was guilty. On the charge of theft, we find Bill Warwick's not guilty. On the charge of greed, not guilty. On the charge of covetousness, not guilty. On the charge of selfishness and ego, not guilty. It's like I've, I've done none of those things because Jesus Christ, my great defense attorney, is going to go to the bar on my behalf at the cross and he says, God, look at Bill, but look at him through the perfect blood that I poured out for him at Calvary. I forgave all of that and the gavel will drop and God will say, not guilty. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I like the way the message paraphrase bears this out. Look at this. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. Now, I read that and wonder if that's true and Scripture is always true. Why do so many Christians walk around without a smile, with glumness? Why do they sing songs of praise without ever lifting their hands in worship? A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleaned the air, freeing you of a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. We can all experience a fresh touch of grace through Jesus Christ. And I'm just naive enough to believe it can happen for you today before you leave this place. I'm just naive enough to believe, friends, that, that the refreshing breeze of God's grace can blow through this place and the heart of anybody who's ready to celebrate in their life in a time of forgiveness. And once that has been happened, once that has occurred in our life, and we have been released from the paralysis of the past, it's got a serious implication for our life. Now, there's some verses you can go ahead and read in the outline there, but I want to jump to the end now. Number three is this. This is the implication. I must irrationally 
extend forgiveness to others. Now, some of you, you've been up with me till right now. You've been with me. This is the part that no one in particular likes. We like to receive it. We don't like to give it to ourselves or to others. And I've always been intrigued that after Jesus forgave this paralyzed man, after he healed him of his paralysis, that Jesus didn't just say to him, get up and walk. But he said to him, what? Take your mat and go home. And I hear that and I say, take, take your mat. He doesn't need the mat anymore. He, he's been born on that mat all of his life. He's finally freed of the mat. Why in the world would he have to take it home? And this is just my speculation, but I wonder if Jesus had him carry that mat home as, as a, an image, as a picture of the extent to which God had forgiven him. And maybe the next time he was abused by somebody in his life, maybe one of the guys who carried him there on his mat that day, maybe the next time he thought about how his family had abandoned him. You see, if anybody should have carried him there that day, couldn't it have been his mom or his dad? Couldn't it have been his, his spouse or his children? It had to be friends that actually came to take him. And maybe the next time he asked himself that question and is tempted to be filled with, with bitterness towards them, maybe he would look at that mat and think, you know, God's forgiven me of so much. How can I not forgive you? I wonder how this guy that had spent his life paralyzed by sin and regret handled the situation the next time he got into some conflict with, with a friend or, or a relational bump or, or a deep emotional relational wound that led him to get crossways with someone because our instinct is when we're hurt, what do we want to do? Hurt back. We want to get revenge. I always like the story about the woman who walked into a pet store one day and she said to the owner, I want to buy the meanest, the nastiest, the most vicious animal that you've got. And she said, so what do you have? And he said, well, I, I've got this attack bird right over here. <laughs> she kind of scoffed at that and said, attack bird? Who's ever heard of an attack bird? What can he do? And the pet store owner said, well, let me demonstrate. Attack bird, my chair. And this bird flew off of its perch and suddenly these claws came out like switchblades and down through the leather and the, there's foam flying everywhere, even into the wood. And in, in just seconds, this chair is destroyed and he flew back to his perch. She said, that was impressive. He said, is that all he can do? And uh, he said, no, watch this. Attack bird, my table. And he went to the table. Those claws came out again. Sawdust was flying everywhere. In 30 seconds, the table was gone. She said, that is incredible. I have never seen anything like that. I don't care how much it cost. I want to buy that attack bird. And he said, lady, why, why do you want this bird? She said, well, it's like this. I am married to the meanest, nastiest cuss of a man on this planet. He has been nothing but unkind to me for years, and today I'm going to walk home with that bird. And when I walk into the house, he's going to say, what's that? And I'm going to say, it's an attack bird. And he's going to look at me and say, attack bird my foot. <laughs> Don't encourage me. I love stories like that. 
When we get hurt, we want to pull out the claws, don't we? We want to strike back. We want to hurt back by cutting that person out of our life or out of the life of our children and lashing back. And imagine this guy who's been forgiven and healed the next time he's tempted to write somebody off because they've hurt him. Imagine as he thinks back to his mother and father who brought him nothing but pain and grief in his life and he just wants to say, forget you. And then he sees the mat. And I wonder if he looks back at the heat of the moment at the face of the carpenter who looked at him and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And I wonder if he sometimes didn't shake his head in disbelief at what he was about to do. And he concludes, Jesus, you've forgiven me so much. I have to irrationally extend forgiveness. Let's be brothers again. Let's be family again. Let's let the drama of our pain, the drama of our anger, the drama of our regret be gone. The first 20 chapters of our life have been nothing but a horror story. But let's make this last chapter of our life one of how we put things back together. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. And as they come up, I want to ask, can I speak some truth into your lives this morning? Some of you in this room, you are still alive after all these years. And you have come through some amazing circumstances and predicaments, ups and downs, all your heartbreaks, your accidents, your surgeries. And perhaps the reason you're still here is because there's a conflict that you have with another person and you're not free because of it. And neither are they. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your ex. Maybe it's your son or your daughter. Maybe it's your mother or your father or your neighbors or your boss. It might even be the hardest person in the world for you to forgive. Yourself. Maybe you trusted someone that you should have been able to trust and they exploited you. You you put your heart out there and they hurt you in the worst of ways. People who, who should have been there for you. And you know that relationship breakdown is diminishing the quality of your life and it's still robbing you of your freedom and you know it doesn't please God because you've been taught from your childhood the right way to pray. Father, forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. It's causing pain between you and your heavenly Father. And the hardest thing that you have probably ever have to bear today is the root of bitterness. I mean, if we ask everybody in this room today to share a story, we'd probably all say, you know what? As we listen to your story, you've got every right to be bitter. If I went through what you went through, you have every right to be hurt. But friends, isn't it time for you to remember your own mat? Isn't it time to to let it go, to release those other people, to gut the grudge, the resentment, or even the hatred that you carry and leave it at the cross? It breaks my heart more than I can say when some of you say to me, Bill, I, I can't do it. The pain is too deep, it's too great, and I love you too much as my family in Christ not to share with you the reality of what our Savior said. 
And I want you to read this out loud with me if, if you would. Well, I don't know if I put this up or not. Matthew, did I guess? Yeah. Read this out loud with me if you would. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Or how about this next one in Ephesians? Read this one with me too. Be gentle with one another. Be sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. When I remember how much God has forgiven me, it makes it a whole lot easier to forgive other people. Because I'll never have to forgive anybody else more than what God has forgiven me of in my life. And I know, even as I say that, that forgiveness is not painless. We are called to forgive just as Jesus forgave. And you'll remember the words he spoke. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And he did it from a cross. And the greatest sacrifice he calls for us in believing and following him is to pick up our cross and to follow him daily. I'll just leave you with this. I, I met a fellow from Muncie, Indiana by the name of Charlie Gerber, and, and he said this, and this is the last blanks on your outline. If you get to the first button on the shirt wrong, talking about forgiveness and faith, all the other buttons will be wrong as well. And to overcome personal bitterness as believers, here, here's what he said, we need to peel the layers Acknowledge the pain, the hurt, reveal it before God, kneel before Him and pray because you don't have the strength to do it on your own. We deal with it as God directs us to and then we experience healing. You know, I found in my life I can't jump those steps in process. They're each an integral part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and for each of us this morning, we have an opportunity for whatever pain we carry to be living parables that when others look at us, and perhaps they know, perhaps they don't know, perhaps you'll get to share with them what's happened within your life. But you're an example that if God can forgive you, you can forgive anybody of anything. Stay with me if you would this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know this is a painful topic. We've talked about what it means to desire your free way, to be living in step with your spirit, not to be dragged down by the things of this life, past, present, or even the things that are about to come into our lives. We need the strength of your Holy Spirit. And for some this morning, Father, they, they've never been baptized. For some, they've never come before you and confessed your name and said, Jesus, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everything I know, everything you've shared through your word and through others, I realize that you love me so much. You didn't want to picture eternity without me there. But the only way to get me there was to pay the wage of my sin, which is death. You chose to have it fall on the body and the life of your one and only son. Well, Father, I believe in him. I believe he is exactly who he claimed to be. He did what he claimed to do for me. And I confess, I just want to get honest with myself and with you, God. You, you know the sins in my life. I need to be forgiven by you. And God, if you ask me to walk away from those sins, which you do, 
If you ask me to go through the waters of baptism, which you do, and you even provided the example of yourself on this earth, then I'll do it for the forgiveness of my sins, for the remission of my sin, and for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And then, God, I'm inviting you. You do your thorough work in me from the heart inside out. You work that leaven of your kingdom into my life and it's going to expose every area which means I've got to do some forgiveness of myself, of people I've known. Father, I know you see and I know you direct and I ask for the hungry heart this morning that you would lead them to do what your spirit calls them to do in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.